0: Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. We're continuing on our series in the book of James. So we're going to be in James 2 today. Uh, you can flip your Bibles open there. You got a device. You can go over to James uh, James chapter 2. Um, and I, I challenged everybody last week and I would encourage you to do the same, uh, I challenge you again this week. Uh, James is a very short book. It's five chapters long. It's not long at all. Um, and it's a really good book an easy read. Um, and so if you would, we are reading through the entire book of James every single week. That just means one chapter per day in the Book of James. For every day that you work during the week, which for most of us is five days, uh, read one, one chapter of the book of James and you'll be able at the end of this whole thing to be able to say, I read through the book of James five times last month. Um, but, uh, but last week we were in James 1 and we tried largely to, uh, to establish that the entirety of the book of James is all about maturity in Christ. That's the, enti- like, that's the crux of all of James. Um, what does a mature Christian look like. And that's largely what we're going to be tackling again because I think there are times when we actually don't know what a mature Christian looks like. I think if you actually had to share what a mature Christian looks like with the person next to you, uh, there would maybe be some markers, some things that that would maybe uh, come up. Like, is a mature Christian someone who's been coming to church for 40 years? Maybe. Um, but, But I actually think maturity has less to do with longevity and more to do with the fruit that is produced in someone's life. I know people in their 30s who are more spiritually mature than other people in their 80s who've been in church their in their 80s than uh, who've been in church their entire life? And I'm not saying that to be rude. Like there's just some people who have markers of mature Christians in their lives. So the question that becomes: What are some of those markers? And I'm thankful for James to be able to uh, answer some of those questions. So last week we talked about in James chapter one we talked about focusing on the eternal right? We had a spray bottle here, and we talked about your life is a mist, and we did that whole thing. We want to focus on things that are internal or eternal, not things that are temporal. Are we consistently turning our eyes to Jesus regardless of our circumstances is largely what we talked about, and hopefully that answer is yes. And so, and I just want to say for a second that, that not only we want to focus on that as individuals, we also want to make sure that we're continuing to focus on that as a church. We want to focus on the eternal as a church, which brings us to the event that we had last week, the Fall Carnival. And I know Pastor Jeff um, had mentioned uh, that I was going to share a little bit. And so let me just talk about that event last week, because the fall carnival was absolutely incredible and absolutely insane all at the same time. It was all the, gu- all the, the good type of insane though, it was great. Um, actually, Pastor Brian, uh, Brian Guy, our next-gen pastor, he had never been a part of a fall carnival before, and I think he had some preconceived notions and that sort of thing, but Brian was in charge of like all of the bounce houses, the craft area, right? all the things with like little minute details to him, the photo booth he was giving oversight to, like all of those things were him. And uh, even in some of our planning meetings, he was like, should we, should we do this? Should we get like a popcorn machine? And I was like, hey, man, it's your call. You want to do a popcorn machine? Like, you're giving oversight to it. Like, all right, cool. Uh, can, should we get like a photo printer so people can take photos back home with him, like a physical copy? I was like, hey, you want to oversee that, man? Cool, that's your job. Um, and so the end of the night, he's just like disheveled and sweaty and um, it's like, hey, man, how'd it go? He, he said, I think I just had like severe trauma in my life from how much he was sprinting. I mean, that guy at like 2 o'clock, from like 2 p.m. on, that guy, I, he, I couldn't talk to him for more than 30 seconds because he was sprinting around. But we set out our goal to have uh, 1,200 people on campus. Last year, our goal was 1,000. So we met our goal last year. This year, our goal was 1,200 people on, on campus. We easily passed that goal. It wasn't even close. So, well done. This is where you clap. Good job. Yay. <laughs> Woo! Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but beyond that, the goal wasn't just to have people physically present. We want to be able to have a way to follow up with people, right? And so um, we uh, we bribed them to get their information. Um, and so uh, we, we set up a raffle booth, uh, and they could have scanned the QR code and uh, tried to win. A, it was an Oculus this year was the uh, the, the big prize that we raffled off. Um, so the cool thing is we got almost 200 new people's emails that we were then able to follow up with as a church, invite them to church, invite them to our Christmas Eve services, and invite them to our tree lighting ceremony that we're going to have here um, on December 4th. And so that will be ongoing until the Christmas season, which is which is awesome. But it was crazy. We had over, over 50 cars. So, uh, you know, our goal was to get to 50 last year. I think we had 36 cars for the Trunk or Treat. We had over 50 cars this year. Uh, we had 100% of the pumpkins were donated. All of the light towers were donated. We served over 1,200 people, and the entire event was a drop in the bucket financially. I think after all was said and done last year, the event cost us over $3,000. This year, the event only cost us $2,100 because of everything that was donated, including your guys' candy donation. So yeah, fiscal, <laughs> yay fiscal responsibility. Um, but, uh, but super pumped about all of that. But the question then is because why, why do we do events like that? What is the importance of it? Is it just so like we can say, oh, we had 1200 people on campus. Yeah, that's fun. And it was crazy and, and all the things. But the reality is, is we want to continue to focus on the eternal, right? Like, we could, we could get caught up in the politics of Halloween, like some churches tend to get caught up in the politics of Halloween. Like, aren't we celebrating things that are scary and evil, and aren't we, aren't we promoting devil worship? And I mean, if you have an eternal, or if you have a temporal view of the world, then yes, you can get fixated on stuff like that. But... If you have an eternal view and recognize that what the enemy intended for evil, God can reconcile and redeem for good, then no, we don't get fixated on that stuff. And we provide an opportunity for people in our community to come and be on campus with us, to come and be on church, come to our church, many of whom came to our church for the first time simply because we were like, here's free hot dogs and candy, right? And so that's what we want to be about is pointing people to an eternal perspective, but that was last week. So last week, all James chapter one, fall carnival, all of that stuff. Let's talk about this week, because last week we got to celebrate Halloween. That's the, that's the holiday we got to celebrate was Halloween. This week we get to celebrate another holiday, the midterm elections, everybody. Happy midterm elections this week. Um, <laughs> they're, they're obviously looming in a few days, and I say looming very real. We get to talk about something that I think is actually pretty pressing because in James chapter 2, James is going to speak specifically about the idea of partiality. Another good word for partiality is favoritism, and how it is that we view and treat other people as Christians. So sometimes, like, messages are really hard to come up with. Other times, God's like, oh, you're in James 2. Here's the midterm elections for you. So we're going to talk about the idea of partiality and and favoritism uh, today. When I was in my first internship in 2004, it was my first church internship. Um, it was also my first election that I could ever vote in, right? And so I'm all excited and, uh, you know, nervous. So the people I voted for, they're going to win because I'm all just about winning, right? And um, like competition's a big deal in my life. And so um, I'm just amped up the entire time, the entire season, and, My senior pastor, the the senior pastor's name is Henry Green. um, He said, You know, if anybody wants to come over and watch the returns, like I'm going to watch the returns at our house. And it turned into like this little. Not party, but little party and just kind of hang out because I didn't have uh, cable television. So I was like, I'll go to my pastor's house and watch the returns. I don't care. Um, and so everybody's like amped up and everybody's a little bit nervous and like, what's, what's happening? What are the, what's going to look like? All that stuff. And um, I just look over. And I remember seeing my pastor, Henry Green, who's now with the Lord. Um, and he's just hanging out in his chair. He's not anxious he is just steady the entire time, right? He's excited to be with people, um, but, but there's no like anxiety seemingly anyway in his life or anything like that. And, and while I'm sure he had his preferences, all I know that was like I was like an anxious, like nervous wreck, like, are my people going to win and hoping things turned out my, my way? Like this guy was just just steady. He knew that regardless of who won, God was still in charge and his responsibility was still to pray for leadership regardless of who the leadership was. But favoritism is real. We saw that by everybody else at the party. Favoritism is real. And I wish I could tell you that we live in a world where these things don't exist, where favoritism doesn't exist, where people, especially Christians, didn't show favoritism at all. But as we're, we're about to see in the next couple of days, especially over the midterm elections, that Christian, Christians treat people who act the same and think the same as them with favor over those who don't. And we're not just talking politically here, right? That frames our conversation a little bit for this week just because of what's going on, okay? But we're not just talking about, about politically. I wish I could tell you that Christians would treat everyone with equal value as a person, but I can't, right? We live in a world where favoritism in all of its various forms are real and present, and at some level, we all have been discriminated against, whether, uh, whether that was because of how we looked, how we sounded, how we talked, whether we were too skinny, too fat, athletic, not athletic, smart, not smart, Democrat, Republican, how you react when you're discriminated says a lot about you, your reaction to discrimination. But in James 2, God is not concerned so much about how you react when you're discriminated against as he is in whether or not you are treating everyone as equally valuable, so, this isn't a, an opportunity for us as Christians to say, well, they treated me this way, so I'm going to treat them the same. No, no, no. That's not our calling as Christians. It doesn't matter how people treat you. Our calling as Christians is to treat everybody with value. Do you love people equally? Do you care about people equally? Do you value the poor man as much as you value the rich man? Do you accept the pretty person as much as you accept the ugly person? Right, the reality is, is that in your world, you're going to be faced with rich and poor, smart and dumb, godly un- ungodly, good looking and ugly, skinny and fat, white and black, hairy and bald, good smelling and bad smelling people. My question for you today is, though, does your faith in Jesus cause you to love, care for, and treat everyone equally? Because the takeaway, especially as we look at James two in just a second is a faith that works, causes you to love everybody equally. It forces you to. You don't have a choice anymore. If you look at verse 1, it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. This is the topic sentence for the rest of chapter 2. Everything that is going to be framed in the coming verses is all framed by this verse, that, that, that we must not show favoritism. And that's a good question James is asking. How can we claim to have genuine faith in Jesus when we're prejudiced or when we show favoritism at all to anyone? As a follower of Jesus, you're going to show respect to everyone. That's what James is saying. You're going to show respect to everyone. You're going to be kind to everyone. You are going to love and care for everyone. It does not matter who they are. Why? Because you're a Christian, brothers and sisters, family members, This isn't written to the world as a whole. This isn't written to people who are not inside the church. This is written to people who have a faith in Jesus Christ, meaning brothers and sisters, people as part of our faith. You do not show favoritism to anybody. It does not matter who they are. So we're going to unpack chapter two a little bit, pick up some truths that we probably need to consider today in light of our circumstances coming this week and just beyond in general, right? Because first of all, favoritism is to give preference to one group of people over others with equal claims. With equal claims. Write that part down. With, with equal claims. Before we dive, out, dive into this, let me point out a few things. Again, James starts verse 1, brothers and sisters. This is a reminder. This is a problem of favoritism. It's a family problem. This is an us problem. It's a pr- problem for the family of God, but, sh- but, but the family of God should not have this issue. So James is talking to believers, people who are followers of Jesus. But beyond that, James begins a section, that section, my dear brothers and sisters. He's getting ready to give us a spiritual punch to the face. This is a very, very real issue. He is getting ready to nail us to the wall, and that's why he does this with the, sh- the subject of showing favoritism. Because think about this idea of favor, right, or showing favoritism. Favoritism, preference for one person over another, even though they have an equal claim. James gives, James gives us one example in verses two through four. This is what he says. He says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there, or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? evil thoughts. That's what he is talking about, this idea of partiality. Like, hey, look, you're judging somebody based on their outside appearances. You are having evil thoughts. You're, having, you're becoming a judge with evil thoughts. And so, James, he uses a simple illustration to be clear about the point, right? Two people come to church on a Sunday. One drives a nice car. One wears nice clothes, lives in a big house in town, has the big salary. This guy is dripping with wealth, Right, and the other guy is poor, he's got a car, it's old, it's busted, has very little money, wears dirty clothes, and is obviously dripping with poverty. So James is saying, if we say to the rich man, hey, welcome to church, we're glad you're here, have an extra donut or two, right, here's the good donuts, we're going to put the bad donuts away, we'll save those for the kids, like coconut, we'll tuck those away, we'll get out the good donuts, so here's a maple bar, right, I don't know where you're at in the hierarchy of donuts, but no one should be choosing coconut over maple bars ever, Oh, I'm sorry if I offended the one coconut lover in here. (laughs) Okay, but if that's how we're treating him, we're like, here, here's all of our best things. Here's our nice things because obviously you drive a nice car. You are rich. We want you to whatever. Like we want you to, to be able to come back. Why don't you sit sit with me? Come sit with me. I'll get you the best seat in the house. Make sure you meet all of the right people who are here, whatever it may be, all the nice people at, at FBH. Like if that's how we're treating it, and then like the, the, the poor person comes in, and we're like, here's, <laughs> here's the coconut donut. Right, here's the coconut donut. You will find a seat by yourself. Um, glad, glad you're here, I guess, right? Or we ignore the poor guy and just tell him, just sit in the back row. James says, haven't you segregated God's people and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Why? Because we showed favoritism based on what they're wearing, based on their their outside, uh, what they're wearing on the outside. Like you're making judgments about people based on your personal preferences and your selfish motives. In other words, as he says at the end of verse 4, you are judging people with evil thoughts. Because your preferences have come into play. This is why God hates it when people show favoritism based on appearances. Because it's driven by your own selfishness. It's driven by your own personal gain. It's driven by your own misguided motives. Right? Think back to the, the fall carnival. I know many of you helped hand out candy and do all that stuff at the the fall carnival. Um, and, man, there were some people who came by, right, in the cars, and they're like, oh, it's such a sweet, like, outfit. Like, oh, Pastor Blippy, Jeff was there. You know, you saw Jeff, Jeff's uh, get-up in his orange hat. I wish I had a photo of it. It's my profile picture for him on my phone now. Um, but, uh, but it's, like, kind, and it's like, oh, his son-in-law was here, and his, his, uh, his grandson was here, and they're all dressed. Like, oh, this is great, man. Give that, man. That family deserves, like, a handful of candy, right? Because it looks so great and it's wholesome and it's good. And you have other people who are walking up, you're like, don't you know this is a church event? Like, like that costume you were wearing is like inappropriately scary or also you need to be wearing more clothes currently. Like, and we show par- like, like partiality because we're like you get, you get one candy because of the way you dress, but Jeff's family or let's be real, Pastor Peter's kids get way too much candy because they're the pastor's kids, right? Partiality. There is so much candy in my house right now. Like our entire kitchen floor, the, our boys every year, they get home, they dump their candy out the next day, and they're like, sort and trade. Man, it is real. It is worse than the baseball trade deadline, I'll tell you that right now. But it's the idea of favoritism, partiality. This favoritism, it, it not only happens at church, it can happen in your family, it can happen at work, it can happen at school, any other place where you find yourself. And favoritism can go by a whole bunch of other names, not just the idea of favoritism, Okay, favoritism, of course, but then discrimination as a type of preference. There's prejudice, there's racism, there's chauvinism, there's bigotry, there's bias. The list goes on and on and on. It's essentially saying, I value one group of people over another group of people, for whatever reason it may be. It's some sort of, some sort of favoritism. And for believers like you and I, whatever form favor- favoritism takes and wherever it shows up, we are supposed to be above it. Always above it. And so before we move on, let me be clear about one thing. Favoritism, like I said, to give preference to one person or group over others with equal claims. Don't misunderstand this, right? There are times where you need to treat people differently because of who they are or the position that they hold. Okay, that is, that is true. Part of it's just a respect thing. Part of it's how well you know people and that sort of thing. That's not favoritism, Another example is like when I treat my wife better than other reason, uh, better than other women I'm not showing favoritism okay because the other women don't have equal claim to me or my attention that my wife does right she has she has a right or a claim on me to be treated differently and so because I give more attention to like my kids than your kids it's not showing favoritism because your family doesn't have an equal claim to me or my attention right so that sin of of favoritism is based on motives that come from unfounded opinions or unfounded beliefs that are contrary to God's Word. So we need to hear this then. Favoritism is an indication of spiritual immaturity. we see that if all of James is pushing towards the idea of a mature Christian, this is a mark of a mature Christian. If you are showing favoritism towards one group or another, you are showing that you are not spiritually mature. And as followers of Jesus, how we treat people that are different than us, look different than us, hold different opinions than us, live different than us, can tell us a lot about where we are and how we're doing spiritually. So a genuine faith, like as it grows, begins to treat everybody equally. Genuine faith causes you to see value in everyone. But if you're segregating people and placing value on people based on how they look, what they sound like, How much they have and and all of those different things, you are not as spiritually mature as you think you are. Look again at verse one. My brothers and sisters, believers in glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. So when you placed your faith in Christ, when you said yes, when you made a profession of faith in Jesus, you were forgiven forever. Right? Maybe that's news to you. If it is news to you, fantastic. He treated you, Jesus treated you just like he treats everyone who places their faith in him for salvation. Your wealth didn't matter, your skin color didn't matter, your education didn't matter, your politics don't matter, your appearance, appearance doesn't matter, your gender doesn't matter. All of those things don't matter. Doesn't matter if you were religious or not, doesn't matter if you followed all of the Ten Commandments your entire life and never once broke them. None of those things matter. All that matters is Jesus came down to, excuse me, came down to earth, saw you as a sinner in need of a savior, and did not show partiality to any group of people. John 3 16 reminds us of that, for God so loved the world. Not God so loved the political affiliated people. Not God so loved those people whose skin color was this shade and above, or this shade and below. None of those things. God did not come to show partiality Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Everybody, always, you were treated equally. You were forgiven equally. You were adopted equally. You were saved equally. Romans 2.11 says that God does not show favoritism. Ephesians 6.9 says God has no favorites. And so when you don't treat people equally, then you you are demonstrating at that point, you don't really understand what happened at the cross for you. You are saying that I know Jesus came to save the entire world, but I'm going to show favoritism to this group of people right here because of my own personal preferences. That's what we are saying when we are showing partiality, favoritism towards one person or another. And so I, James, asked, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others? Favoritism is an indication of where you are spiritually. At best, you're spiritually immature. At worst, you're not saved at all if you are showing favoritism. So beyond just the fact that you may be immature in your faith, we also have to understand that favoritism dishonors other people. You want to honor everybody? Like you want people to respect you? You need to learn to honor every single person. In verse 8, James actually says that when you show favoritism towards the rich, you dishonor the poor. So you may just think to yourself, man, I'm going to honor this rich person, this guy who comes in with the, the gold ring, and we're going to give him the best seat and the maple bar and all this stuff, and I'm going to show honor to this guy because he has value based on what I, have, what, what I am seeing. So when we are saying yes to this, this sin of partiality, this person I'm going to show favoritism for, we are saying no to everybody else. We are dishonoring everybody else at the same time. Notice the principle here. Right? When you show favoritism towards someone because of their skin color, you dishonor all the other people that don't have that skin color. Or when you show favoritism because of someone's gender, you dishonor everyone of the other gender. When you show favoritism based on how they look, you dishonor all of those who don't look like that. As followers of Jesus, we need to be about honoring people, not dishonoring people. That should be our goal. And so Romans twelve nine, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another. So as believers, my goal should be to honor to honor you more than you honor me. But your goal should be to honor me more than I honor you. And so we're having this honor contest over and over and over again. That should be our goal. I'm going to out honor all of you everything that we truly value. And we talked about this in our relationship series, our marriage series we just got out of a couple of weeks ago. We talked about this idea of like, like wives submit to their husbands, husbands submit to God and out serving each other, doing our best to just like say no to ourselves and say yes to our spouse, everything that we can possibly do to out serve each other over and over and over again. Right? This is a hallmark of a mature Christian is dying to yourself on a regular basis to be able to not just serve other people, but also honor other people as well. And so the idea of honoring people, like speak to people with respect. Give people your, your undivided attention. Man, one of the things I hated when I was a youth pastor, it just started to be really cool when I was a youth pastor, was like I'd have students walk up and they'd have, at that point, it was just the, the iPod. It wasn't an iPhone yet, but iPod in their pocket and have their have their headphones in their ears and they'd walk up and like have conversations with me with their headphones in and it was when headphones still had wires so I just grabbed them and pull them off like hey to have a conversation with me like are you listening to music right now or are you talking to me like give me your undivided attention and so I vilify that but at the same time how often is it that like I'm having a conversation with somebody you're having a conversation with someone and they do one of these guys when they have like a, a smartwatch? Right? And you're like, is he just checking the times? Like, no, I actually just got a text message. And so, what I'm saying in that moment is whatever is happening on my wrist, whatever is happening out in the world, is more important than the conversation that you and I are currently having. Right? We need to make sure that we are showing respect and honor to other people. The followers of Jesus should be best at honoring others because we know the real value of human life. They we were created to honor God. And favoritism dishonors human life by saying, this person is more valuable than another person. We don't get to make that claim. We don't get to be the ones who say, oh, yep, this person has more value than this other person. Favoritism largely should be overcome with mercy. Now, we don't have time to look at everything uh, James says about favoritism, but look at verses 12 and 13 this is what it says. It says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if we are going to be in error and somebody shows up and man, maybe you're just assuming their life is full of sin and all all that stuff, it is far better to be merciful to that person than to judge that person. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Right now, uh, in in our family, um, the word like fair comes up all of the time with my kids. I hate it. It's the worst word ever invented, the idea of fairness. And so, for those of you who don't know, I have kids that range from age 5 to age 13. So, we're not quite at the pinnacle of arguing of boys in our house, like with boys in our house, but we're close, right? Because the five-year-old doesn't want to do what the 13-year-old does. And the 13-year-old doesn't want to be treated like a five-year-old anymore, right? And on and on. And so there's all of these arguments that just tend to happen in our house. Well, that's not fair. How come Noah's not doing as much as I'm doing, Dad? Well, because he's five and he can't, okay? That's why, 13-year-old. Sorry, no one's saying he's going to be so mad at me. Um, (laughs) Dang it, I'm going to have to buy him something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> anyway but we've tried to get this idea of like fairness out of there because all they're doing is arguing with each other and dad i want this or i want like he's not doing he's not and i'm just like hey stop be, like be merciful to one, and one another give each other grace in the midst of this yeah you're right he is not pulling his weight in cleaning your guys's room together show grace upon grace upon grace far better far better than showing judgment. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And somewhere along our lives, like all of us picked up an assumption or an attitude towards certain people who look a certain way, who act a certain way, who sound a certain way. And we've decided to just like ignore them or write them off or look down on them. Or my favorite, you're going through the supermarket and you see someone you know and you really don't want to talk to them. So you're like, oh, other other aisle, right? Going to get another, go to the other aisle. And we've picked up on these things. The Bible tells us very clearly we are not supposed to do that. Instead of these things, instead of these judgments, we're supposed to show mercy. Right? Mercy is compassion. Mercy reaches out to help those who have a need. Like Mercy is what causes you to love your enemy rather than judge them. Mercy is what motivates you to help a stranger rather than judge them. Mercy is what uh, is kind when others are unkind. Mercy is loving when others are unloving. Mercy treats everybody equally when you're not treated equally. Any selfish person can show favoritism, but it takes a transformed heart to demonstrate real mercy. Mercy is your weapon against favoritism. James mentions this mercy and favoritism again. It's in James 3, and so we'll cover it more next week. But it says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wisdom. Last I've checked, most people who are immature do not have wisdom. They might. They probably just don't know how to use it, though, right? And so if we want to be mature Christians, if we want to be people who have wisdom, people who look at God, learn from his word, learn from people who are in our communities, learn from people who love Jesus as well. If we are going to do that, man, we got to show mercy and not show favoritism. Mercy says, even though these people are different from me, I, ha- I, like, I am going to love them anyway. They may not be what I want them to be, but I'm going to honor and show them respect. Why? Because Jesus loved me first and Jesus loved me best. Growing up, I went to a church. It was called uh, Yosemite Church. When I was like seventh or eighth grade, we switched over to this church called Yosemite Church. Uh, And I still remember their mission statement. It was written on a wall. And anytime I got bored when the pastor was speaking, which clearly never happens here, uh, I would look over and read their mission statement. Their mission statement said, uh, meeting people where they are and loving them to where Christ wants them to be. Like, that was their whole mission statement. And so they were like, hey, I don't care who this person is. I don't care what it is that they look like. I don't care how it is they act. I don't care care how rich they are, the color of their skin, their political preference. I don't care about any of those things. I'm going to meet them specifically where they are today. And then my goal and my only goal is to love them to where Christ wants them to be. Where does Christ want them to be? Jesus wants us to look like him. Jesus wants us to be holy. And so mercy says, I'm going to treat everybody equally. Colossians 3.12 even says, therefore, as God's chosen people, everybody real quick, say chosen people. Good good job. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're supposed to clothe, clothe ourselves with mercy. Why? Why are we supposed to do all, why, like, why are we supposed to be compassionate? Why are we supposed to be kind? Why are we supposed to be humble? and gentle, and patient. Like, why are, well, let's look at the first half of that verse again. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people. Again, it doesn't say people outside the church walls clothe, yourself, clothe yourselves like this. No, it says people inside the church, as God's chosen people, those people who have made a profession of faith for Jesus, those people who have said yes to Jesus. It is now your responsibility. You have said yes to all of these things. You have said yes to mercy. You have said yes to compassion, to kindness, to humility, to gentleness, to patience, and you have said no to partiality. Why? Because Jesus loves us best, and that should be our goal. For followers of Jesus, mercy should be as common as the shirt on your back. It shouldn't change a thing to find a believer who treats everyone with equal value. That should be blatantly obvious. So to wrap this up, Proverbs 28, 21 says, To show partiality is not good, yet a person will do wrong for a piece of bread. Genuine faith causes you to love everyone equally, being impartial. Over time, your faith in Christ, our relationship with Jesus, will change your heart about the people that you have prejudice against. At least it should. That should be showing a maturation process. You know what? The people I show favoritism to, I'm actually not going to show as much favoritism to. Why? It's not because I value that group any less. It's because I value all of these people that I've been dishonoring more than I once did. Why? Because my heart's being transformed. My heart is being changed. And so as your faith grows, you begin to love and cherish the rich and the poor. The educated and the uneducated, the cool and the non-cool, the good-looking and the ugly, the man, the woman, the godly, the ungodly, the white, the black, the Republican, the Democrat, all of those different things. You begin to love and show mercy to all of those people always. And so as your heart's transformed by your faith in Jesus, you begin to have a heart for God and for the world. You begin to love the world like God does. So the question becomes, how how did God then love the world best? How does God show the world love? Well, he was willing to do anything in order for us to be reconciled to him. Anything, including as James 3, or John 3.16 tells us, sending his only begotten son into the world to die on our behalf, anything to know him. It's the entire reason we get to come to church and experience this free gift of grace. Right? God shows us this from the very beginning, that, that God is not about partiality that mercy triumphs over judgment. We see that in the very simple act that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. Rather than us getting God's judgment, Jesus received it for us, mercy. He was willing to walk that out on our So it's the entire reason we get to be, it's the entire reason that we get to, we get to know him. It's this new life in Christ because he went and died on a cross for every single one of our sins, It's the same reason we should remember it. So the first first Sunday of every month is our tradition. We receive communion. We're going to transition into that now. Band, you guys can come on out. But we receive communion every single month so we can get in the habit of remembering how much Jesus loves us. So we can remember that, that Jesus did not choose partiality, that he was willing to die for us. If on your way in you didn't receive communion elements, just raise your hand our ushers, ushers, you got some work to do. Keep them nice and high. (laughs) Thank you, guys. So God loved the world best by sending his son, and we get the opportunity to receive communion so we can remember what it is that he did. At FBH, we believe in what's called an open table. An open table simply means that you don't have to be a member of our church in order to receive communion with us. We simply ask that you will have made a profession of faith, though, meaning you have said yes to Jesus in a very real way in your life. And maybe up until today, maybe up until this point, you haven't thought about the fact that hey, you're a sinner in need of a Savior, that you fall short of God's grace. And so because the fact that you fall short of God's grace, that you are thankful that Jesus came and died on a cross, not showing any sort of partiality to anybody, but simply saying, all of you are dead in your transgressions. All of us are broken in need of a savior. We're all sinners. And so because of that, we get to come to the cross, the foot of the cross today, and thank Jesus for what he did. If you have not yet said yes to Jesus, man, in just a second, we're gonna pray and I would love for you to make that profession of faith and receive your first communion as a believer with us. Beyond that, we're gonna pray the band. We're gonna sing a song together. And as as that song is playing, we largely, I largely want you to confess any sin that's in your life and get your relationship with Jesus right. You don't have to tell anybody about it. I think it would ultimately be helpful. If you did, tell someone about it. But 1 Corinthians 11.28 says, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Meaning, get your relationship with Jesus right. So when the band sings a song in just a second, you want to stand and sing? Stand and sing. You want to stay in your chair and just silently spend some time with Jesus? Do it. This is, it's what communion means. You're going to sit and you're going to commune with your creator and savior of the entire world. Then after the song is over, we'll receive communion together. Why don't we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. And God, I thank you that you were impartial in your love for us, for your love for the world, that that anybody who calls upon your name can come and be with you, can enter into a saving relationship with you so thank you that Jesus came and he stretched himself into skin so so eventually when he went to the cross that all of my sins all of your sins everybody's sins in the room would hang there with him so that we could be with the Father forever and if that's you this morning if you have not yet said yes to Jesus if you have not yet made a profession of faith it's your first time doing so all you need to do is repeat after me with head still bowed and eyes still closed the quietness of your heart say Father A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior that I fall short every single day but I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me and thank you Father that you didn't stay dead he rose from the grave three days later and now see I get to choose to follow him every single day that I would turn from my sin and follow Jesus and follow his example so I can be more like him we love you father it's in your son's precious name we pray amen